Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Public Affairs in Practice podcast. Uh, in this episode, I have the privilege of talking to Louise Abraham of, of Cathod about her wide experience of public affairs. Um, Louise, thanks for, for being involved. Um, uh, do you want to just give a quick introduction or an introduction, doesn't necessarily have to be quick, uh, to yourself and your role and your past as well? Yeah, great. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks very much for having me. Um, so yeah, I am Louise. I currently work for CAFOD, which is an international development charity, uh, but I've previously worked in-house and I'm currently a member the a member of the executive, executive committee for women in public affairs as well. So very much, yeah, wide, wide ranging experience of public affairs industry. Excellent, excellent. Well, look, how did, how did you, I mean, I'm interested to find out how you got into public affairs. I mean, was it always something you wanted to do? Was it an early, you know, motivation from, from uh, you know, from childhood or did it did it come relatively, uh, I don't know, I was going to say later in life, but you know what I mean, sort of, you know, I don't know, university. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the short answer is I got into it by accident almost. I didn't know it was a career path when I was at school. Um, so I kind of knew when I was at university trying to figure out, you know, what to do with my life, that I wanted to do something in the political world, but I also wanted to get commercial experience. And then I met someone at like a university careers networking event, and they said they worked in lobbying. And f- to the younger me, which, you know, I kind of, I studied politics, it sounds very shady and mysterious and but it kind of, I saw it as a way of marrying those two interests, working in politics and um, working for um, businesses. So I reached out to a few people that I knew were kind of working in campaigns, policy roles, and they put me in touch with their public affairs colleagues. And after those conversations, I really figured out actually this is this is what I wanted to do. There's this whole sector I knew nothing about. Um so yeah, I just went for it really after that. And I applied to a few jobs um, as I was leaving uni. But that that background is also why I wanted to join Women in Public Affairs because it's the reason, like I, I think the, the sector would benefit from people with like a diverse range of backgrounds um, who studied, you know, out, studied things outside of, you know, politics and history, sort of the more traditional routes into going into a political career. Um, to be involved in public affairs. Great. No, no, I agree with that entirely. I mean, I um, uh, do some mentoring with the University of Aberdeen, um, where I did my d- degree and my PhD as well, and uh, and also just recently uh, been mentoring with I Have a Voice as well. So again, mm. just different ways of trying to open up, you know, public affairs to people of different backgrounds, um, you know, not just universities necessarily, not just through training shops or working for MPs. Um, a whole range of diverse backgrounds you know as yeah. well educationally socially you know which i think is is incredibly important and, and we haven't frankly you know been very good i don't think being very good at uh well ever i think we're getting slightly better now but it's still not still not great absolutely yeah um, and like things like i have a voice and um i think taylor bennett foundation run a yeah. few schemes as well things like that are brilliant and definitely we've still got a long way to go but they're good they're good sort of starts to diversifying the industry it, feel, it feels better than when i joined all those years ago i mean those, those channels just simply weren't uh, around so no it does feel it does feel better it's more to go yeah. but it feels better yeah yeah um and anyone in particular that you feel has influenced your career anybody maybe anybody you've worked with or anybody outside 
Yeah, so I've been very lucky to have um, very supportive people that I've met in my career so far, but I didn't want to embarrass anyone. So I, I'll speak to, I'll speak about them in very general terms. That's right. Um, yeah. So. I think the the individuals that really, I'm really grateful for have been very generous with with their time and have also helped me shape my thinking about what it is to work in public affairs. So I think a lot of the times when you work on like campaigns are quite niche, you kind of lose the bigger picture, and it's the work's always not always glamorous, um, especially when yeah. you start off in very junior positions. Um, but these people have helped me like realize and understand, you know, look at, think outside the box and look at the bigger picture of how your work is, you know, shaping, shaping policy, shaping legislation, shaping like the wider world. Um, it is important and don't, don't lose, don't lose track of that when you're doing this job. Um, so very grateful for those people and also grateful for the people that took, took a chance on me. Like I said before, I didn't come from a traditional um, background to get into public affairs so the fact that these people have taken sort of risks on me um, always very grateful for I'm grateful for those people that are very willing to yeah expand and broaden the sector as we've said before well I'll, I'll tap you up afterwards to find out who those individuals are <laughs> without, uh, without broadcasting them um, and you mentioned earlier you currently work for for CAFOD. Um, mm. What attracted you to that role? Because you were in consultancy before. Why, yeah. the, why the shift across into um, for a charity, but 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 an in-house role as well? Yeah. So I so CAFOD specifically. I was I'm originally from the Philippines, so international development has always been an interest of mine. Um, I studied at university, but as I said, like I wanted to go. I wanted to work more in politics, so I prioritised that. Um, so when the CAFOD job came up, it's like a charity that I've grown up with because I went to Catholic school and CAFOD, an amazing education team. Um, yeah. And it's more broadly for the organisation, the people and the mission, which is, you know, providing support to the most vulnerable in low, lower and middle income countries by... Um, working with people that are already in those areas. So it was a great marriage between public affairs and international development, um, which was brilliant. But also I did want to work in-house um, yes. after a few years of working in an agency just for just to get a different perspective on public affairs and what it means to work, you know, to, you know, you've got like client, um, you've got clients in agencies and you kind of know how to manage them, but also in-house, it's like, yeah, a similar sort of, um, yeah, a similar sort of way of working with colleagues and prioritising issues, et cetera, which I kind of, I wanted to to learn more about. I think you're right. Sometimes the differences between, well, in-house and consultancy can be sort of overplayed, but they can be underplayed as well. So um, uh, I've only... I mean, I've done some stints in house, but just as sort of placement type thing. So I've, my my main jobs have always been on the consultancy side. So mm-hmm. I've always sort of tried to talk to people like yourself to that have done those in house roles to find out, you know, what are the similar similarities and the differences and and uh, and the challenges uh, involved. Yeah. Um, so would you have any particular challenges that you'd think that are different between the two, or? Yeah, I think between the two, the I think the biggest difference is um, your ability to plan ahead um, in-house. 
oftentimes in agencies, it's very much you work on a project basis and you don't really get to see sort of the end result of your project sometimes because it's sort of wrapped up. Um, yeah, it's you don't because you're not in a you're not in house, you're not part of that organization really you don't see how it works with the wider organization strategic goals whereas in-house it's brilliant to have that exposure because you learn a lot more about how big organizations like think in the way that they want to be strategic and how they want to prioritize their resources and how you fit into that as a public affairs professional um so that's that's brilliant that's what I've really enjoyed is seeing the long-term yeah. impact of of my work rather than yeah working in short stints which is great and what I really enjoyed an agency as well so it's, I guess it's just what you what you prefer as an individual yeah. yeah some people like sort of shorter more projecty things moving on to the next piece of work you say others may prefer something being you know very much integral to that longer term I don't say development yeah uh, organization or, or piece of work as well yeah um, and, you know, it's always good to hear about um, effective campaigns. People always like to know what, you know, sort of what works. Um, have you had any favourites uh, so far, either from Cafford or, or, or your previous your new previous roles as well? I worked on a campaign at my old job um, called Hashtag Not A Laughing Matter with Caroline Harris and Judith Cummings, um, who are both Labour MPs. And the objective of the campaign was to highlight the impact that COVID was having on the hair and beauty industry because when we first started the campaign um, it was very much not being taken seriously by the government it had this reputation of being soft and fluffy um, rather than being a, a very serious economic contributor which provided employment to many small and micro businesses often run by women um, so it was brilliant working with uh, very passionate MPs who were very proactive in raising these issues in Parliament, on social media, national and trade press. Um, and it was a great campaign because it was, you don't, I feel like in public affairs, you don't get the opportunity to work on such forthright campaigns. Most of the stuff that we do in public affairs tends to be behind the scenes. So it was good to see your work in Parliament, on social media, being picked up by the media. Um and yeah, seeing it develop into something quite inspirational, really, and standing up for a social justice issue, which often you don't get the opportunity in agency. Yeah. Um, and it did, it led to, you know, the government realising actually this is a sector that we need to take seriously. And I think since I've left, there's now like a personal care um, directorate within well the old bays wherever it sits now i'm not yeah, sure whichever department that is now, <laughs> yes. yeah. um yeah so it was it was good to see those tangible changes as well um but it, now i work in in the climate space i think one of the things one of the campaigns i wanted to highlight as well was the net zero campaign um that yeah that was a big campaign that was across NGOs, businesses, other stakeholders, faith leaders, etc. So I only witnessed this as a volunteer for CAFOD. And this is a personal favourite of my colleague Liam at CAFOD. So I was like talking to him about it. And he was saying it was brilliant because it was one of those moments where they were in a meeting room early in 2018. And they were kind of like, if we do this, let's let's like go big and dream big. Um, so for those that are unfamiliar, 
Theresa May committed to legislate um, for the UK to adopt legally binding net zero target by 2050, um, which previously didn't exist before. Um, and it was a campaign that brought together the different elements of policy, MP engagement, media. I think there was an Attenborough documentary around that time that really helped to push the agenda forward. Um, you had different ranges of civil societies working together, whether that's Extinction Rebellion, um, being that more sort of vocal um, activist voice in the space to your more, um, your more, um, yeah, your bigger NGOs like CAFOD, for example, who appeal to a more conservative audience. And then you've got like wider sector engagement. I think my colleagues, they were saying they were working with faith leaders, with businesses, writing joint letters, showing how this is something, this is an issue that is mainstream and supported by, by lots of people. Um, and then obviously it led to legislative change, which yeah. is brilliant and often not something that you see very often um, when when you do these when you do these campaigns. You're right. That's two. That's two fantastic achievements uh, uh, that you've been involved in and, and your organisations have. But the, um, I think you yeah you raise a couple of really interesting points. One is that sometimes that you know we can be personally personally motivated by motivated by some campaigns, sometimes not. You know, mm. so and in the first instance, and the second one is. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just such a such a big issue that actually for an organisation to to be able to carve out a, a, a piece of it that they can actually get involved in mm. uh, is really refreshing as well because the danger is it just becomes so you know enormous that you can't see a way that you can really make a meaningful contribution to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for these big sort of big picture you know societal changes that often you want to achieve it's sometimes I think we put especially working in coalition which you have to for these for these campaigns you put a lot of emphasis on making sure everyone's like aligned and you know everyone's got the same messages etc or actually if the core message is the same and everyone wants the same end thing sometimes you know let's just let's just do it and not worry too much about the specifics of where everyone sort of agrees on X, you know, policy line, et cetera. It's more sort of, for me, these two examples are brilliant because it goes back to think big picture and what you want to achieve. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, I think in, in years gone past, organisations would want that much clearer sort of almost command and control. So we are, these are the messages. This is how we're going to do it. These are the people we're going to talk to, et cetera. Whereas actually nowadays, those sort of partner organisations don't want to be controlled in that way. They want to just say, look, okay, look, we agree on these couple of core points and then we'll go away and do our own stuff. Yeah. And I think for some organisation, that's fine. You know, they understand that and, you know, they can't control in that way. For others, it feels a little bit uncomfortable because other organisations may go away and say something they don't quite agree with, don't quite like, but I don't think there's much choice around that nowadays. Yeah, and I think it's also, especially when you work with partner organisations like that, it's just being respectful to the other organisation and just acknowledging that it's fine to have different approaches. Um, yeah, and just respect that. Um, because ultimately, at the end of the day, I still see it as you're still working towards the same thing. You just have a different approach to doing it. Brilliant. Uh, Louise, thank you very much for your time. 
Uh, that's much, much, hugely, hugely appreciated. Um, and I'm sure if people want to find you, they can probably find you on, on LinkedIn and maybe other uh, social media um, channels as well. But uh, thanks for your time. That's really kind. Yeah. Thank you, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.